Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. That pulse is popping over here, baby. I'm fired up for this game. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, it's time to take a look at the Kansas City Chiefs. You guys know the gravity of this one. You know where it is, and you know what we do. Chiefs intro, storylines, matchups, keys, what's at stake? Let's go ahead and preview Dolphins and Chiefs from the Baptist Health Studios. That's a lie. Apparently, Caroline's doing construction upstairs at the house right now. From my house somewhere in South Florida, this is the Drive Time Podcast. You know, I literally hadn't thought to look at this until today, Tuesday, putting together the script for y'all when I started prepping for the Chiefs. So it's a 3.30 local time kick in Frankfurt. There's a big chance of rain, though it's supposed to be a light rain bordering on a drizzle. It's supposed to be 51 degrees at the day and 44 into the evening with 10 mile an hour winds. Essentially a carbon copy of the weather you had in Philadelphia with a little bit of moisture added to the equation. But I've been watching Tua practice in wind and rain for the last several years. doesn't affect in the way you would think it does, so I don't really worry about that anymore. Real quick, and I thought this was worth looking into as well, one of the big topics I've seen around these international games is the travel, how you prep for it, all of that. So teams that have traveled early, and the Dolphins went over on Monday, and the Chiefs go over on Thursday, are 2-0. Both the Jags and Falcons traveled the same day, and so Jacksonville won that game, so no real data point on that. But I also found this interesting, and this is very much a point spread type of research point that I will, would have looked into years ago when I used to do that stuff uh, for a, I guess, part-time job. We talked about this last Friday with OJ and, and Seth, and you know, for personal preparations, when you do have an international trip like this looming with a game to be played prior to that, like you travel on Monday, you better have all your travel prep sorted out for the game before you play on Sunday, right? So with that, Teams who played on the road before traveling to Europe all time are 5, 9, and 1. The five teams that won were multiple games in the win column better than their opposition who played at home the week prior. The Dolphins were, of course, at home Sunday for the win over the Patriots, and I'm not sure you need much of an intro into the Chiefs who were on the road in Denver for a loss before this trip because you know who they are, where they've been. Let's go ahead and just do a Cliff's Notes version of this portion, the Chiefs intro. Mahomes drafted number 10 overall, traded up, gave away the future, you know, draft picks in 2017 and only started the season finale that year, also in Denver, when the Chiefs were locked into a playoff position. That team, under the guidance of Alex Smith, won 10 games and lost in the wild card round with that crazy Marcus Mariota play against the Titans. And that was the last time you could say that about them about bowing out in the first round of the playoffs. They've won 12, 12, 14, 12, and 14 games under Mahomes, and they're 6-2 and two right now. They've gone 10-3 in the playoffs. Playoffs? During that time. There isn't a franchise that wouldn't take a 10-3 and three mark 13 games into their regular season, and they've done that against the league's best team in the postseason. Their losses coming to the Brady-led Bucks in the Super Bowl, the Burrow-led Bengals, when they were red hot to close out 2021 in the AFC Championship game, and the Brady-led Patriots in overtime of that legendary AFC Championship game back in 2019. Mahomes is the constant. He and Travis Kelsey, their 2013 second-round draft pick, who is one of the greatest unicorns in the history of the National Football League in terms of being 
among the league-leading receivers every year, despite the fact that he's not a wide receiver, he's a tight end. And it just doesn't happen that way, but it does for Kelsey. Now, and we'll cover this in the matchups portion, replacing Tyreek has proven to be a bit of a challenge for them. They've used more wide receivers with significant snaps than any other team in the last in the NFL this year. Last year, they won the Super Bowl, so it's ridiculous to question that process. But the last few weeks, the offense just hasn't looked like its usual explosive self as they're working through two, you know, handfuls of recent acquisitions. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, Kadarius Toney, Justin Watson, Rasheed Rice, even the guy who has familiarity in Nicole Hardman, he left and came back. The entire group of receivers has been acquired in the last two years. So I think you're seeing the lack of continuity and familiarity kind of impact this offense. More on that in a moment. The offensive line, though, is where the stability exists. Taylor was brought in to replace Brown, Jawan Taylor and uh, Orlando Brown this year. And Donovan Smith is in for Andrew Wiley, who also exited in free agency. But they know they can survive pass rush losses off the edge with the creativity of Patrick Mahomes. They just want to keep that interior pocket clean, and nobody does it better than Tooney, Humphrey, and Smith. That front three is the league best, in my opinion. Better than better than Philadelphia. Defensively, and this is where it gets really interesting, like crazy, right? They have a Hall of Fame quarterback, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame tight end, and the D is where it gets interesting in my best Al Michaels voice, go figure. But they never had a good defense, you know, good in quotes, during all that success we just talked about. They never ranked better than 16th in defensive EPA during that 10-3 and playoff record we talked about, an average of 13 wins per year. But now the defense has been more efficient than the offense. It starts with Chris Jones, a total beast. They supplemented him on the front with two lengthy, strong edges in George Karloftis, 2022 first-round pick, and Charles Amenahu, probably their best free agent acquisition this spring, uh, who they signed this spring. They also drafted another edge in the first round this year in Felix Onaduke Uzama, who doesn't play a whole lot, but inside with Jones, another original draft pick back in 2018 and Derek Nandi. They're really good up front. Now, Nick Bolton was another draft hit they had on defense in recent years, 2021. He's also the green dot in the middle of the defense, but he's out. They also brought in Drew Tranquil, who was the Chargers' best linebacker, so they took from their division rival and got better at that spot this spring. And, you know, they're in a good spot there with depth in that position, but they're banged up right there right now because Willie Gay is going to be down for this game, it sounds like, too. But more on that in a moment. They also hit another draft pick with Trent McDuffie in 2022. They found former Washington State star Jalen Watson as a UDFA last year as well. They signed Justin Reed last year. They developed 2024th round pick Legereus Sneed into a stud. So they are an example of retaining a few core parts from teams of old and then hitting on key draft picks and free agents to cobble together an impressive result. I think you look at this Chiefs team and you kind of project what the Dolphins might look like in two or three years because I think Miami's going to be a Super Bowl contender for the next couple of years with this core they have, but it's going to be so imperative for them to draft well after kind of passing on the draft the last couple of years down the road to supplement all those big contracts with key contributors on rookie contracts. That's a podcast for three years away, but just thought it was worth mentioning because these teams, they mirror each other in several ways. Andy Reid, you know, talking about mirroring offensive genius. He's still at the controls. Nomar Eric Bieniemy, Matt Nagy back as OC. Steve Spagnuolo is in his fifth year as DC, cooking up all those blitzes and pressure packages. So they've really built this team to his vision on that side. And the continuity, I think, shows while offensively, 
The lack of such continuity, I think, has caused some down weeks for the attack on offense. They've looked disjointed at times, but I also will never doubt their ability to get it right, to get it humming like it usually is. And for all transparency, Miami has been kind of a get-right defense for teams in the past. I do not expect that to be the case this time around. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Some key storylines for this game. Patrick Mahomes has never lost back-to-back games. That's the tweet, right? Would be a historic win for the Dolphins in that sense. And I have to imagine that leads most shows on Monday. Patrick Mahomes lost back-to-back games. Oh, the Broncos, that was a fluke. But Miami, they look like the real deal. That's my call on Cowherd. Uh, next one is this is more of a what's-at-stake category potentially, but I think the one seed's up at stake for this game. Remember the, the before times before Coach McDaniel? We lose a game to some unassuming 2-5 and five team, and then in December you look back at why the heck did we miss the playoffs by one game? Well, I have a really strong feeling we're going to look back at this game in the same way, but not for a playoff spot. To me, that's already clinched, basically. But for the one seed, we'll be touchdown favorites plus against Las Vegas, which, by the way, wow, what a tire fire. Against Washington, who just traded away their two best pass rushers on the exterior. Against Zach Wilson twice. Come on now. And the Titans, who Will Levis looks good, but rookie quarterback against Vic Fangio with tape to watch. What I'm trying to say is I think Miami's going to win the next several games, regardless of what happens on Sunday. So if you get this one, to me, let's save it for the end of the podcast because I have a point on that I want to make. Next storyline, the top two favorites for the MVP race face off. Tua's chance to make a statement against the best quarterback in the world, arguably the best player in football, and put Miami in prime position heading into their bye week. And it doesn't matter at all, but Miami has a chance in our next storyline here to shed the quote-unquote cannot-beat-good-teams label. Again, I think it's dumb but win this game and you won't hear about it anymore. And they will have multiple chances down the road. They'll play Baltimore. They'll play Buffalo at home. They'll play Dallas. They'll play in the playoffs. They have a lot of chances to win a game against a good team this year, but this one's a big one for them. And then speaking of that, is the Miami defense for real? And again, I have, you know, or I should say, I hate these definitive takes from 60 minutes of football in early November, but we've seen Miami's defense bury bad offenses and struggle against the good ones and the elite quarterbacks, right? Well, this isn't a bad offense, and this is the elite quarterback in the NFL. Can they put the screws to a top offense? If they do, can you imagine the talking points about it after we have the offense that we have? It should help you that Ramsey's back with the game under his belt. I have to imagine X and Holland are a go. In fact, they said as much on Wednesday. Phillips played 85% of the snaps last week, so it looks like he's full go. Nick Needham got his first reps back. Brandon Jones got his first full slate of snaps, although he didn't travel with the team to Germany, so he probably relegates back to that backup role. But with Holland back, not as needed. We haven't been this healthy on defense all season, so that's the key elements here for this big test is Miami has their entire roster. Does it click? Does it work under Vic Fangio? Tyreek reunion, not much to say about that. It's not in Kansas City, but you know he wants this one. And then the last one piggybacks off that last point is that I think it's fascinating how these offenses are constructed with opposite approaches. This isn't apples to apples because Mahomes is on that second contract and Tua is on his rookie deal, but you've seen these two teams attack the structure of the offensive side of the football entirely different. After KC lost the Super Bowl following the 2020 season, the pandemic year, where they were decimated on the offensive line, they then inked Joe Tooney to the biggest guard contract of all time. They later went on to sign Orlando Brown Jr. And since him, they have moved on and signed Jawan Taylor to a similarly massive deal. 
They did hit home runs in the draft on Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith as well. Miami, on the other hand, they have invested in the offensive line. I mean, big contracts for Teastead and Connor Williams. Austin Jackson's a first-round pick. Rob Hunt's a high second-round pick. Liam's a high second-round pick. Isaiah Wynn was once a first-rounder. Not a big investment for Miami, a one-year free agent deal, but there's a lot of investment in the offensive line. But we also know about McDaniel's famed 700-play clip. I'm going to go show the entire organization why this quarterback is special. Let's surround him with weapons to maximize that processing and accuracy superpower of his, but also his ability to help get the football out and protect the offensive line for a handful of snaps every single week and mitigate potential pressure problems as a result. I just think it's a fascinating dichotomy in terms of team building. It's not all done the same. These two teams are a good example of that because a lot of this game is like looking in the mirror, but a lot of it is not at the same time. Let's go ahead and dive right into Dolphins offense versus Chiefs defense. And we start at the quarterback position. Tua Tungabailoa is going to go up against a trio of safeties who play significant snaps for the Chiefs defense. Justin Reed plays almost every rep. Brian Cook plays 84%, and Mike Edwards plays about half the snap. So there's lots of big nickel package. They play lots of dime as well. We'll get to that here in a second. At receiver, Hill, Waddle, Craycraft. It looks like we could have him back. Cedric Wilson against Legereus Sneed, who does not leave the field. And then you have some interesting cornerback dichotomy here, or disparity, I should say, because you know, Berrios and Smythe on the inside from our slot and, and tight end positions. Trent McDuffie is your other 99% snap taker at corner, but he plays almost exclusively inside, especially with all their sub packages they run. Now, Jalen Watson from WSU, who had a good rookie year, but not so much this year, pains me to say it, but it's the truth, plays 34% of the snaps. Josh Williams plays 33% of the snaps and Chamari Connor plays 9%. So if you're catching my drift here, they have two good cornerbacks, really, really good cornerbacks. But beyond that, in terms of the Dolphins' interior offensive line, with uh, whether it's Cotton or Jones at left guard, I think you're going to see Connor Williams back, and I'd be shocked if Robert Hunt does not play through the hamstring injury that he suffered last week. You get Chris Jones, who's played 60% of the snaps, so that is actually a lot higher because he missed the first first game, just the first game, right? But that, that takes in, you know you know, eight, uh, one eighth of the entire snap. So that's probably closer to like 75%. Derek Nandi plays half the snaps and then Treshawn Wharton plays 37% of the snaps. The thing you'll see about this defense and you'll really appreciate where Miami's opportunity is here at the linebacker position is there's not a lot of depth. It's really good up top, not a lot of depth. So if they lose guys throughout the course of the game, that could be a potential big issue as well. Um, so off the edge, Lamb, potentially... Teron Armstead back. Austin Jackson, we know, is good to go. George Karloftis, 77% of the snaps, same as Michael Dana. Those guys have been really good this year. Karloftis on a different level. And then I think you see more Charles Amenahu, who made his season debut, was it last week or two weeks ago? I forget. But he's impactful as hell, man. He's long and strong and really can lock out the edge. He's played just 13%. And then that rookie first-round pick, FAU, uh, NDK Uzama, 24%. Running backs, Mostert, Ahmed, um, Jeff Wilson, up against a linebacker group that is not going to have Nick Bolton. He's on IR. They're probably not going to have Willie Gay. He's played 60% of the snaps. And that leaves him with Drew Tranquil at 66%, Leo Chanel at 41%, and Jack Cochran, who's barely played at all this year. He played a lot in the game on Sunday, and the Broncos ran the ball at him and threw the ball at him. 
to kind of your sombrero on this defense. But McDuffie never leaves the field, kicks inside the nickel. Nick Bolton's the green dot field general. He's out. So they have to get a new uh, signal communicator. I believe it's probably Drew Tranquil in this position. who I think, starts off the edge, coming back from his suspension. No Willie Gay. Jack Cochran replacing him. And then Justin Reed also exited the game on Sunday with an injury, but came back and returned to that one. So flying over on Thursday, who knows how those injuries react to that after some you know practices in Kansas City for them. It's all interesting to me, part of the equation for how that works out for travel. Their personnel usage is unique. They're in their base 29% of the time, which is one of the higher percentages in the National Football League, the 4-3 they run. They run their nickel on one of the lowest percentages of 45%, and their dime one of the highest at 24%. They love to get in a sub package. They love to blitz DBs and kind of confuse you, and every shell looks the exact same, then they rotate and shift, and they run a variety of coverages. Like, they're heavily in man free they're heavily in cover three they're heavily in cover six and those are kind of all uh translucent types of coverages that blend off each other and so they get to the same pre-snap look and adjust to those accordingly post-snap that's why two was processing one of the best in the league to me has a chance to exploit this defense in a way that nobody else really has this year because they haven't seen a quarterback this good they played the chargers a couple weeks ago they scored 17 points that quarterback is not a good processor so there's an issue there they played the Broncos twice, and even though they won the game, the Broncos offense didn't do a whole lot on this KC defense. They played the Lions back in week one when they were kind of getting their feet wet a little bit. The Vikings had a pretty good plan to score 20 points on them, but nothing is going to test this. And that was without Justin Jefferson, too, I think. Nothing will test this Chiefs defense in the way they operate like Miami's offense. Let's go ahead and take a quick break right here and come back and pick it up on the Dolphins offense versus the Chiefs defense. And we'll take our second break after the other side of the football. All that coming your way next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We left off on the other side talking about this Chiefs defense. Let's go ahead and kick this segment off by looking at some of their leaders by the stats. The pressure leaders, I mentioned George Karloff is 39 pressures this year. He's top 10 among edge rushers. And then Chris Jones, also top 10 among interior 30. Actually, he's top five and he missed a game. Then a drop-off to Mike Dana at 22, but then a bigger drop-off to Drew Tranquil at 11. So they have three guys up front that can consistently put pressure on the quarterback. So I like Miami's chances to neutralize those guys because... You're, it's really the four-man rushes that have four guys that can win one-on-ones that give this Dolphins group, this Dolphins front issues. I just don't think that's the case here for the Chiefs. Their stops leaders, Tranquil has 23. Trent McDuffie has 18. That's Cater Kohu-esque in terms of a cornerback tackling. Dana has 18. Chanel has 15. And Willie Gay, who's out, has 13. So what I think is interesting about this list is that Nick Bolton is not in there. To me, it shows you how rare his role is, and I think a big piece of why the Broncos were able to have some success on Sunday against this very good Chiefs defense, Bolton's workload goes 120 coverage snaps, just 13 pass rush snaps, but 79 rundowns. Now, of course, teams are usually behind them, but no other linebacker on the roster has more coverage snaps than rundown snaps because most of them rush the quarterback. So, I think you can get away with all this blitzing and fire zones that the Chiefs run because of Nick Bolton. He's a massive loss in that regard. Drew Tranquil steps into that role. I think that he's, you know, not the same player, but he's a good player. And we saw his role increase in coverage last week. But then that opens up the role that he previously filled, right? And further, no Willie Gay means you have two roles that are critical to your defense and what you do, they're not going to be out there. Like to me, this is akin to Miami not having X and Holland last week. Now they played the Patriots offense, which, you know, I could stop, but 
I think it's going to be a challenge for KC. This is where I would attack them. Their interior with all of our spacing, and we caused issues against defenses with you know both the 15 to 18 yard windows in the passing game paired with a strong running game. And I wouldn't be I would be surprised if you don't get nearly exclusive 21 and 12 personnel groupings to keep them in that base package, keep them out of that nickel and that dime they love to run to get all those good DBs in the field. But then again, you know. My former Coug, Jalen Watson, has been hit for some big plays this year and five touchdowns. Maybe you do want him out there. But when Gay went down with Bolton already missing, the Broncos averaged five yards per carry the rest of the way after being held to under three the rest of the game. It's a big impact. They had a lot of success running the football down the middle. So I wonder how much the run game could be a big key for Miami this week. They're going to blitz the hell out of you. 36% is the eighth highest rate in the NFL. And I think that could include some run blitzes as well as they try to get extra hats inside to mitigate that missing middle portion of their defense. But then Miami has the most dangerous play action game in football. Like guys, I am so confident this week. I think we are getting healthy at the right time. I think the chiefs are banged up in a critical area. I think our run and pass game marry up really well. And the narrative about good teams, and good defenses goes by the boards this week because the chiefs have really shut most teams down. But this week, I think this is where we excel. That's where they're currently soft because of the injuries. Man, getting that run game going, using some of the motion crack wham action on the interior to help neutralize Chris Jones could be a big key. And then when they commit those extra blitzers inside, assuming you get one of the most athletic centers in football back in Connor Williams, I think you could really work against some of the leverage they create inherently with some one gap penetration and just kind of let them go upfield and run into Durham Smythe or Julian Hill coming across in split flow action. That's a big key. Marry the run and the pass to exploit the middle of the field and get your vertical stretch game going. Whew. So how about the key cover guys? Sneed, McDuffie, Reed, they almost never leave the field. And then the next is Brian Cook. That's your next sombrero. And another look into the middle of the field vulnerabilities they have here in Kansas City. I know this was the case against Philly, but you had Liam in for Connor, which is one of the greatest disparities on any roster in the league in terms of drop-off. And then Lester Cotton coming into the game for the injured Isaiah Wynn. It's a different story for an offensive line when he starts versus when he comes in off the bench. Same if it's Rob Jones. But back to Cook, he's allowing 18.6 yards per catch down the middle. I think Waddle is going to get one-on-one chances in the middle of the field against these for lack of a better term, guys that can't cover him, I think Waddle has another big game over there in Germany. We've seen Waddle really exploit the middle of the field against zone and be kind of a quick release option for Tua. I could see, you know, Jalen getting minimal attention if they combine one, a lot of attention to Tyreek Hill, and two, they blitz Tua. You can't defend at all, so you have to pick your poison. Even still, Tua has been so good at finding his hot, they're going to muddy up the picture, You know, keep it looking the same, try to change post-snap, but that's why I'm just so confident in Tua's ability to manipulate, process, and just kind of get the ball to Braxton, to Durham, to Cedric, to whoever it might be, and just find the hot option there. Speaking of blitzes, it's a big game for Raheem Mostert, man. And pass pro as the release valve in the in the passing game and then also the running game, obviously. We need primetime Raheem Mostert to show up and give us the balance on offense to keep it humming. And again, it's going to be new young linebackers going up against this KG veteran. Go get him, Raheem. Such a fun matchup. Can Miami neutralize the edge the way they have in most games, Sands, Buffalo, and Philly, and get Loftus out of the game? Can they prevent Chris Jones from wrecking the game? If they can get those two things done, I think they can score some points and give themselves a real shot to get over 30 points and win this game by a comfortable margin. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and just pick it right up here with the Dolphins defense versus the Chiefs offense. You guys know about Patrick Mahomes up against our safeties. This is where it gets awfully confusing, so stay with me. They have like 
nine guys who play consistently among the four eligible positions not named running backs. Marquez Valdez-Scantley plays 62% of the snaps, and he has not been good for them. Um, Sky Moore plays 59%. Shaking my head. Hasn't been good either. Justin Watson's played 37%, and he's kind of Mahomes' go-to guy. You'll hear more about that tomorrow with BJ Kissel of KC Sports Network. Nicole Hardman just got there, but 6%. Probably see more of Nicole this week, I'd imagine, in the game plan. And then at tight end, Kelsey plays 62%, not like an overwhelming amount of snaps. Noah Gray, the tight end two, plays 60%, so lots of 12 personnel. Blake Bell, the third tight end, plays 25%. And then Rasheed Rice plays 43%. Kadarius Tony plays 25%. And this group leads the NFL in drops. So if that's the case on Sunday, they're going to have to make sure they don't drop the football because I don't think they can afford to do that against this Dolphins team. Um, and then in terms of the offensive line, we talked about already. Donovan Smith, Jawan Taylor, the tackles, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, the guards. And then at running back, Isaiah Pacheco plays 54%, Jarek McKinnon, 31%. And Clyde Edwards-Elaire, I thought he was going to be a great player, just 15% uh, out of the backfield there. Has not worked out from LSU. They don't really use an exclusive slot receiver. They move guys all over the formation. In fact, 10 players have 25% or greater slot usage, and nobody is over 60%. So... It's a lot to look at for this Dolphins defense. And in terms of their personnel groupings, 11 personnel, 62% of the time. 12 personnel is 27. That's a very high figure. And 13 personnel, three tight ends is 10%. That's also a very high figure. Lots of Noah Gray and Blake Bell. Like, okay, cool. Not really that scared about that. This is, you know, there is one surefire way to limit the Chiefs production offensively, and it's not a mystery. You have to find 87, and you have to disrupt him. He's the most unique player I think I've ever studied. Do you guys remember that clip of the Chargers rookie asking him if he had any advice for the rook after they met on the field following the game a couple weeks back? Kelsey said that his key was to understand the other side of the football as well as you understand your own, and damn it, that's the entire key to his game. He loves to run to space regardless of his route. You'll see a pretty common concept start to unfold and then he just checks up like he's running a seven sale and he just like checks up for a little hookup. It's weird. He'll turn over the wrong shoulder. His spatial awareness, I would say, is the best of all time. Is that too much? Maybe Wes Welker was better, but those are one, two in my book. I would shadow him with five. I would put Jalen Ramsey on 87 and say, you got no one else to follow this game. 10 on 10, you're following 87, maybe even Javon Holland sometimes. And maybe you can trap a little bit where you kind of change that up and try to muddy up the picture for Mahomes where it's sometimes it's X, sometimes it's Javon, sometimes it's Jalen. But primarily, I would say five, 95% of your snaps, just follow 87 wherever he goes. Go follow him to the bench when he goes and gets Gatorade. If we let Kelsey run through zones and the hook, and the hook zone, guys, is like between the numbers, of, you know, like five yards to 15 yards off the football. If you let... Kelsey just run free in that area, they're going to kill you. That, that's what they do. You have to kind of trail him and put somebody in that hip pocket so he can't do that nonsense. The best way to negate him is to shadow him because Mahomes is hesitant to go to his other guys because they've let him down time and time again. Like, please just drop passes again and force Pat to force some balls and then turn it over. I think you force that by taking Kelsey away. And the last thing here on Kelsey, so they always show the graphic of his production with and without Taylor Swift in attendance, right? And I get that's easier to digest for the Swifties and probably most football fans, but drive time listeners do not saddle up shotgun for that type of analysis, right? Here's the truth behind those splits. The difference between the games where he's produced 124 yards in Denver, 179 yards against the Chargers, 
Those were the two games where he saw nearly exclusively zone coverage. Hey, Brandon Staley, what you doing, bro? What are you doing? You defended Tyreek Hill like that? Now you're going to defend Travis Kelsey like that? The best way to take away those side adjustments is to just shadow him. But as we've learned from Mike McDaniel, if you take something away, you open something else up, right? So we'll see. And Mahomes, it's not, you know, he's not at all shy about peppering other players when Kelsey does command the attention. I think he hesitates a little bit, but he will do it. But if you go back to even the Alex Smith days and all those great matchups versus the Patriots, you know, Belichick would always meg it, man everywhere he goes, and then zone everywhere else. I think Miami is super equipped to do this. And I think the best part, I like three of our guys' play style or ability to match up with his physicality. X specializes in physical coverage, although I wouldn't do that because Kelsey is probably a smoother mover than X is at this point of his career. Javon is feisty as hell, and I like him playing that five-yard off coverage and just kind of reading the hips of Kelsey and making those matches in, in his you know zone match patterns. And then Jalen Ramsey, he literally did this with the Rams against Kelsey. In fact, I played up the last... I pulled up the last two times that Ramsey played the Bucks. The playoff game two years ago, he was on Mike Evans most of the game, though he did have some snaps on Gronk and OJ Howard and allowed just one catch for seven yards to the two tight ends combined. Back in 2020, he was targeted seven times against Mike Evans to allow just four for 40, but Gronk again did not have a catch on eight routes against Jalen Ramsey. Honestly, my hypothesis was that we see Gronk more on Ramsey, but the point still stands, and in fact, there's even better historical evidence against the Chiefs and Kelsey. Here's the rub. Ramsey shadowed him nearly the entire game last year, and 84% of Kelsey's routes came against Ramsey. Three targets, one catch. Now, it was a big play, a 39-yard touchdown, but guess what? One of those incompletions was also a pick for Ramsey. So if you tell me right now that Ramsey shadows Kelsey and he scores once, gains 39 yards, and there's a pick in there... The Dolphins will win the game if you get that production from Jalen Ramsey. How about elsewhere on this KC offense? Because we talked a lot about Kelsey here. The more I watched the team, the more I saw wins despite these disjointed looks where Mahomes like kind of gets off structure and off schedule, but then he's really not. Like He has some weird footwork that works for him in the pocket. And we'll talk to BJ Kissel, longtime Chiefs analyst, about this tomorrow. But I think they're still working in the familiarity of Matt Nagy coming back. And you know, I know Andy Reid is the head honcho there, but Eric Bieniemy had been there the entirety of his career previously. But then also trying to get things sorted out with the rest of this young wide receiver group that has been assembled over the last two years combined. MVS, big-bodied ex-receiver, off to a slow start, does not separate at all. Sky Moore, like think Albert Wilson, like there's not really any vertical sense of good route distribution, how he kind of gets separation. He aligns everywhere. They try to manufacture touches for him, but he does not catch anything beyond like 10 yards down the field. Kadarius Tony is the Kadarius Tony is the exact same way as that. Justin Watson is akin to me to MVS playstyle wise. And then McCole Hardman is the take the top off burner. I don't think any of those matchups scare me. Like Take away Kelsey, and I think you can hold this offense to like 24 points. I really do. And how Miami matches up there, I, you know, I'm not sure what they do exactly, but I'm, you know, I'm just going to be frank with you guys. I think Miami ought to put it to these KC eligibles. We are better than they are. Every matchup favors Miami, and I'm not really worried about someone making us pay for giving too much attention to Travis Kelsey. I almost wonder if you just man him up and then zone off everything else. But then again, I don't like a man-heavy plan. I think a man-heavy plan is a bad idea either, as long as you have someone keeping an eye on Patrick Mahomes. But one thing you have to accept 
is they are going to scheme open wins. Andy Reid's a genius. There's no way around that. They get layups off their zone read RPO looks where Mahomes just kind of point and shoot and very adept approach in terms of seeing coverage and getting the football out fast. They hit RPOs with horizontal stretch as well as anybody. Again, it's Andy Reid. So you live with those, but like I said, there's a lot of chaos ball where he moves around and makes plays from the move. Rush lane integrity is vital. I don't think you can bank on constant pressure in this game because that interior offensive line is so good, and then Mahomes is so good at mitigating exterior pressure off the edge because if there's been one area they've struggled to protect, it's off tackle. We'll tell you about the numbers behind that next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Segment number three, and gosh, I continue to just think about how fired up I am for this game. Just fired up to be here. Uh, Pressures allowed. I mentioned that off the other side. These actually are a lot higher than I thought they would be. And you watch the Chiefs on tape, you know, like Mahomes makes a lot of it work, but they've gotten beat quite a bit on the offensive line in terms of pass sets. So Donovan Smith, 29 pressures allowed. Jawan Taylor, 21 pressures. And then inside, both guards, Smith and Tooney, have allowed 15 each. And then Creed Humphrey, 9 So Donovan Smith is their left tackle, and to me, he is very gettable. I think Bradley Chubb can reset him and run through him with power and just push him into Mahomes' lap in a way that forces Mahomes hopefully up into a collapsing interior pocket as long as Wilkins and Sealer can get their handful of wins that marry up with Chubb's wins at the right time. And if he, you know, tucks it and looks for space, I think Chubb can have a big game where maybe he has multiple sacks getting that second effort, getting off the block and chasing Mahomes and, you know, tripping him up and getting him to the ground. If they do that a couple times and put him behind the chains, I like Miami's chances. On the other side, Taylor struggles with really quick get-offs and that's what Phillips and Van Ginkle do, man. And Phillips can convert that to power. Phillips is just a complete player. I think we match up really well here, guys. It'll be interesting to see where Miami can get their wins up front because I don't bet against 94 and 92. But again, that interior three is as good as there is in football. I think the big key for those guys is keeping second level climbers from attaching to both Long and Baker. And that's where I thought Wilkins and Cela were best against the Patriots. I mentioned I thought that David Long was a key in the Philly game and he played awesome. And it looks like he's kind of arrived as the guy that I thought he would be in this defense. Mahomes is not a designed run quarterback like Hertz is, but he scrambles as smart as anybody in that he attacks the line of scrimmage looking to throw vertically, but then sometimes just falls into these big runs on scrambles as a secondary option. Mahomes getting out wide is the biggest nightmare in this game possible. All year, they've rarely won in structure, but their quarterback is the greatest creator of all time. How do you defend that? It's tough, but you have to plaster when he breaks, which is the hardest thing to ask of a defensive back. And it's why I wonder if you'd go man or zone in this, in this game. I wouldn't blitz him, you know, save those extra bodies for covering up Kelsey any way you can. I wouldn't count on pass rush wins on the interior. So play with good rush lane integrity, just contain Mahomes' mobility and win with coverage. And I think you'll be good. They will test the edges with a quick game. But again, I don't think there's a better short area tackler to go get Tony, to go get more to the ground at the corner position than Cater Kohu. And we all saw how Ramsey fares in that category last week too. Big key there. You shut down those plays on early downs, force them behind the chains. That's where a lot of the mistakes have come from in terms of giveaways and the KC offense bogging down a little bit. Finally, their running game. I like Pacheco a lot. He and McKinnon are as deadly as they come in the passing game. So big game for Long and Bake, not just getting off those interior blocks, but being able to run wide because they love to stress you in the curl flat area and just 
basically open up zones for Kelsey to pick his way through. So if you lock down Kelsey, you have to make sure you have eyes on the running backs getting wide in the short passing game to help Mahomes kind of create that spacing. If ever there was a week to stop overrunning hook zone throws, Drome, this is the week to do it. What's at stake here for Miami? This is the most important game of the year for my money. And I'll tell you why in this context. I want home field advantage. It's why I think it's the biggest game the Dolphins have played in decades because the previous biggest games were like trying to maybe overtake the Patriots by a game in the standings in early October. I think this team has a chance to win the whole damn thing. And I think if they win this game, I think they'll get home field. But I think it goes without saying that, you know, teams that come here to face a 16-2 and team at home over the last 18 games, it's not crazy to say you like your chances in those situations, right? If you lose to KC, you're a game back in the loss column and they have the head-to-head advantage. So the winner of this game will essentially earn a two-game advantage over the other when we both head into our Week 10 bye. For us, we play teams that will be at least a touchdown favorite over, right? You get Zach Wilson twice, Sam Howell, Aiden O'Connell now, Will Levis. (laughs) Okay, what I'm telling you is if you beat KC, you're going to own the one seed heading into Christmas Eve against the Cowboys with a very likely scenario where if you just win two of the final three games, you'll get home field advantage. Maybe even one out of the last three, which I know Dolphins fans probably would panic out their britches if that happens. But I'm just telling you, you could go into the last three games with a two-game advantage with two of those games at home as well. So that's my long-winded way of saying I fully expect that if you beat KC, you're going to the Super Bowl. That's how I see it. Long way to go, but hey, I like my track record with predicting this stuff. The keys of the game, do not let Travis Kelsey beat you. I think it's, I think you'd be foolish to not give him more attention and force Tony and Moore and Watson and these guys to beat you. Second key, win when the Chiefs go off script on offense, plaster to your guy, have rush land integrity. Do not let Mahomes create outside of structure. That's where he's most deadly. Just contain that a little bit. And number three, marry up the run and the pass to attack the middle of the KC defense. That's where they're vulnerable. And speaking of areas of concern, Kelsey Mahomes off script is a scam- scrambler. Um, Chris Jones, if we don't have Rob or Connor worries me, areas to exploit middle of the field on Kansas City's defense. They're banged up linebackers and safety and cornerback depth. They're tackles and pass pro and Ramsey as the ultimate eraser. My prediction I told you guys I was concerned about not having Connor Williams against the Eagles and would flip that pick if he didn't play, and he didn't. I flipped it. We lost by two touchdowns. I told you I was worried about Buffalo if we didn't have Deshaun Elliott, and I might flip the pick. We didn't. I did not flip the pick. I should have, but the reason I'm telling you all of this is that I don't have these concerns this week. I think we're going to see Miami play their best game of the year. I think you're going to see him beat a very good team. I think you're going to go into the bye week as the one seed, knowing you have five cupcakes coming to the line of the schedule, and erase all the negative nonsense people have been spouting. 34-24, Dolphins get the biggest win they've had in franchise history going back to the Jets win in 2008. That's it. We'll have the recap pod for you guys on Sunday afternoon since it's an earlier game. So we'll have that, the post-game show, the Monday, all 22. Then the schedule changes for the bye week. I'll give you some more detail about that next week. I have some big guests lined up that I'm very pumped to talk to and bring to you guys here on the podcast. But until tomorrow with KC Sports Network's BJ Kissel, that is my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, follow on social, all that stuff. Check out my guy Seth and Juice in the Fish Tank. Check us all out on the post-game show on 105.9 FM on the iHeart app as well and Fox Sports 940 down here in South Florida. For all those, you know, 
non-local listeners, the iHeart app will have it for you guys. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities this week that I'm not covering, Dolphins today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, Daddy's already home.